If you would turn in your Bibles this morning to the 15th chapter of John, there's some things I want to share with you that I hope will make your walk in this Christian life a little bit easier than maybe it has been. We're going to talk about a subject today that John talked about here in the 15th chapter of John. And he brings a lot of word pictures into, into this lesson. He wants us to create pictures that we're familiar with in the word. Now the thing is, the things that were familiar to those folks 2,000 years ago may not be too awful familiar to people nowadays. And those are the things that I feel the responsibility to try to tell you about so that you can understand because Jesus talked to those people walking the streets in that day in such a way that every one of them understood it. They didn't have to go get dictionaries and whatever to, to understand what Jesus was saying. So some of us can understand what they're talking about. As soon as you're told, I think you'll understand. There's an expression among cowboys that says, stay hooked. And that means a lot of things. But I think it covers what we're talking about this morning. And I think you'll see what I'm saying as soon as I get started. They're talking about staying hooked to something. And that's what Paul, uh, John is talking about this morning, about staying hooked to Jesus Christ. That's our job, you know. And it says in chapter 15 of John in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman or the gardener, the one that looks after all these plants. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it or prunes it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now here is this picture that he's creating because everybody around town in those days knew what it meant to prune a bush to make it bear more fruit. That's what they had to do. And a lot of them had fig trees in the yard. And that's the way my grandfather used to do his fig tree. He'd cut those, some of those limbs off, kind of like suckering tomatoes, I guess, where the ones that was left there would be good enough to make big tomatoes. But he says, Jesus says, for every branch off the vine, that's us, the branches, 
and he's the vine. And every branch off the vine that is not producing fruit, he cuts off. That's us. The only way God can get glorified is for us to bear fruit, to do those good works that he calls fruit. That what lets your light so shine that others may see Jesus in you and glorify the Father which is in heaven. People see us doing things that we really probably wouldn't do. We're not that good. And then they say to themselves, that must be God, because he wouldn't do that on his own. I know him. I've been knowing him all his life. And then they praise God. And it seems that that's the only way God says he can get praised, is for us to do the good works and for folks to see it and praise him. He says in verse 3, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now he's creating another picture here. He says, You have heard the words of Jesus. You've heard my words and you believed them. So you've become a Christian. You're born again now. And now you're living the life that I am showing you how to live because you've believed what I told you. But he says you're clean. Now what has that got to do with a bush? Turn back, if you will, two or three pages to the left into John chapter 13 and verse 10, and let's look at what he says there, because this, this is some more of Jesus' preaching. John 13, 10. Jesus was talking about washing feet. And there's old Peter. You know, Peter ain't never been able to catch on to anything the first time. Peter just, Peter just like a bull in a china shop. He's always breaking everything, tearing up everything, making all kind of mistakes, whooping out his sword and cutting folks' ears off. He reacts without thinking. And when Jesus said something about washing feet, Peter said, why don't you just wash me all over? Well, right off the bat, Jesus knew that Peter wasn't understanding what's going on. So he explains it in verse 10. Jesus said to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. In other words, if you're washed, all you need to wash is your feet, but it's clean every whit and you're clean, but not all of you are, is what he said, because he was thinking about Judas. He said, he said, I don't want you to understand this picture I'm trying to create for you, 
because all of you guys aren't clean. I said that, but Judas is not. So he's explaining what the kind of idea he's trying to get across. Now, there's two words in that verse that says washed. One of them is L-O-U-L-O-U-O-U, Lou. It means to be washed all over. And there's another word where it talks about washing his feet, and that word is the Greek word nipto, which means you just wash a little bit, like your hands or your feet. And here is what he was trying to explain to them about being saved, about being born again. He said up there in the other verse, now you're clean. But you see, in those days, everybody didn't have water in the house. They kept a little water there to drink and maybe enough to wash their feet, maybe to wash their hands because the Jews, you know, did ceremonial washing. They washed their hands before they ate, ate every time. But as a rule, they didn't keep water in the house. You remember the wedding at Cana when Mary asked Jesus to turn all the water into wine and there were several jugs of water there that water was there for baptizing. It wasn't there for the family's use. The Jews sprinkled water on each other to purify each other. That's the reason that water happened to be in the house. But these people, the oriental custom in that day was that as water came into a town, a lot of times they ran it through a ditch. And as the water came into the town for people to use, pretty soon after it got into town, they built a bathhouse. And everybody in the town, when they got ready to take a, a good bath and be clean all over, they went to the bathhouse. And they got them a good bath. Well, then they had to walk back home. Well, when they got back to the house, they was clean everywhere but their feet, but they'd walk, walked on those dusty roads and picked up dust on their wet feet, so they had to wash your feet again. Now that's what he's saying down here. He that is washed don't need to do anything but to wash his feet because he's already cleaned everything else. And see, they knew what he was talking about because every one of them went and got, got, got baths every so often at the, at, at the town washing place. <clears throat> so he's trying to make an example here, but he doesn't want them to misunderstand it. And what he is saying is this. You go back over to 15th chapter of John, and what he's saying is this. When you were born again, you're clean. Spiritually speaking, I cleaned you up. I took care of that sin that you were born with. I took care of that sin that you sinned before you were born again. And I took care of all of that. So 
Spiritually speaking, you are clean. But here's the ticket. Every day you walk around town, you get dust on your feet. Every day you live, you do little small sins and you need your feet washed every day because you're moving around and nothing but your feet gets dirty. The rest of you is clean. I've cleaned you up all over, but if you don't keep your feet clean, you won't be clean. So what he is, the picture he's giving those people is this. Jesus in salvation cleaned us up. Of the big sin that was in our life, he took care of that. But the little sins that we do every day, if we don't keep asking forgiveness for them every day, we'll get in a condition where Jesus can't do anything for us because you know he said in the 55th chapter of Isaiah, I believe that the sin is the only thing that can make God turn his head away from us. So see, what he's trying to give them is this picture. So you're a Christian now. You're born again now. And there's another thing I want to tell you too. This word that Jesus used called born again when you were born again, there's a relationship there that I think a lot of people hadn't thought about. When you were born to your mama, there's a lot of things about your mama that's in you. And people know your mama, and they say, well, it's apple don't fall far from the tree. It really doesn't. We've all got some things in common with our mama and daddy because they who created us. Now let me say this. Spiritually speaking, once we're born again, we're like who was responsible for creating us again, who recreating us, Jesus Christ. We become kin to Jesus Christ, just like we were kin to our mom and daddy. And you take on Christ-like ways because that's who your family is now. And we're a lot closer to Jesus because we're born again, and a lot of people think they are. But see, it says that we take on the divine nature, the nature of Christ. His very nature we take it on. We begin to act like Christ. Why? Because we're kin to Christ. He's our oldest brother. He's in the family, and we're in the family. And that's what gives us the power to do the things that Jesus asked us to do. Because we're kin to him. Verse 3, chapter 15. Now you're clean. 
through the word which I've spoken unto you. The word that you heard about salvation through Jesus Christ is what you believe, and now you're clean. That cleans you up as far as I'm concerned, what Jesus said. So verse 4. So because of all of this, what are we supposed to do? Abide. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Now the thing he's trying to create here is another picture. Now, most of you, I'm quite sure, who have reached any age at all, knows enough about living vegetation that if you cut off a, a, a limb, if you cut off a branch, you come back in a few minutes and the leaves all swiveled up. If you got an old vine or poison oak or something, poison ivy, I meant, growing up in your, one of your bushes in the yard, what do you do? You put on a pair of gloves and you take a pair of those pruning scissors and you cut it off, and you come back in a little bit, and the leaves are all swiveled up. Why? Because it can't live without the vine. It's got to have the roots. And that's what he's trying to tell us. You can't just go out here and decide what God wants you to do and do it, and God pats you on the back and gives you a reward. That's not the way it works. You've got to be hooked. You've got to be connected to the vine or it's not going to work. You've got to be connected enough to Jesus Christ for him to tell you the things he wants you to do and that for that you can get rewards. That's not dead works. That's live works. That's good works. You can't make good fruit on your own. You can't. You're not smart enough to do that. You're not spiritual enough to do that. If a man abide not in me, verse 6, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. That's the whole picture. You cut it off from the vine, it dries up. It withers up. It's dead. And men gather them up and cast them into the fire and they're burned. He says, I have come to you. I have put the word out there. There are some of you who come to me legitimately and there are other people who say they're coming to me, but they're not. You remember what we said about four weeks ago, five weeks ago, that when Jesus first started doing the miracles, that there were a lot of people that came to him but he didn't believe them. They said they believed Jesus, but he didn't believe them because he knew their hearts. He knew they weren't being legitimate. So here's the point. We don't know. I don't know who came to Jesus and who didn't. I listen to your talk. I see what you're trying to do, and I got an idea, but I can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. I just can't. But the only way you can prove to anybody 
that you are doing for Jesus is to stay hooked to him. You can't cut you loose from the vine and you produce any fruit at all. You'll die up in no time. So you've got to keep yourself connected to Jesus. That's what the word abide means. When he says abide in me, the word abide from the Bible dictionary is stay in a given relationship. All right, you had an experience. You walked the aisle. Maybe you shook a preacher's hand or maybe it happened in your front yard. Who knows? But your heart was changed. Now you got to stay hooked. Now look at what verse 7 says. This, this kind of gets all of what's been said gathered up in one knot. If ye abide in me, if you continue in my relation in a relationship with me, and my words abide in you, you remember what you've been taught? You remember what you've read in the Bible? You remember what the preacher said? You remember what teacher, Sunday school teachers said? If you keep the relationship with Jesus and you keep a relationship with what the Bible has been teaching you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now there's the clue. Now, I don't know how well you have gotten some of the things I've tried to preach, but what I've been preaching all along, we're big on the Holy Spirit around here, that's a part of God that he put in every one of us who are born again. And we've got to pay attention and listen to that Holy Spirit in us which teaches us and makes us remember what Jesus said and it, it, gets, it keeps us out of trouble. If you ask, the Holy Spirit of God that's in you. Spirit, what should I do? You say, what do you mean, what should you do? Oh, should I buy this car? Should I buy this house? Should I make friends with this person or should I leave him alone? Should I do this? God should be the one that's making the decision for every single decision you have to make. And it says right here, that after we're saved, if we stay hooked with God through Jesus Christ, we can ask Jesus anything we want to ask him and he'll give us an answer. Now what he's talking about here is this. He's talking about direction. He's talking about guidance. If we don't have the Holy Spirit's guidance, which is connected to Jesus, and Jesus is connected to God, then we have to use our own little brain. And a man told me, my grandma said that God created a brain in us, and he expected it to use it. No, he didn't. He says, in my Bible, I gave you a brain, but it ain't no count. You better ask me, and I'll tell you what to do. And that's what it's about. 
And essentially, without being rude, that's what God has taught us all the way through the Bible. You are not capable of deciding spiritual things, but I can, so if you will ask me, I'll tell you how to do it. And that ought to be the single most important thing that a Christian living today should be about is asking the Holy Spirit of God that's already in us how to live. Verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. He said, you can be my disciples if you bear much fruit, but you can't bear fruit if you're not hooked to the vine. And hooked to the vine is abiding in me. And what is abiding in me? Asking me how to live your life so you can stay hooked. Don't turn there, but I'm going to flip over to Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. Now listen to what I read. Luke eleven thirteen. If ye then, being evil, talking about us, humans, people who live here on earth, we're naturally evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So when you ask God for direction, it says he's a better man than your daddy was. Your daddy wouldn't have given you something like that to mess you up, and your heavenly father won't either. He compares him with our father here on this earth. So it's about asking directions. This whole lesson is about asking directions from God so you'll know how to do, know how to live. But wait a minute. (laughs) We've already seen now that he's comparing himself to an earthly father and says he's a better man than my earthly father was. And he does nicer things to me than my earthly father did. So I'm supposed to ask him, Lord, what should I do? Give me some wisdom. But what if I don't ask him? (laughs) What if I don't ask him? A lot of people that are Christians, you can talk to them, you know they're Christians, you know they believe, they've been believers, some of them for years. But they don't go through every day asking God about everything they make a decision on. What if they don't ask Him? What if they make decisions from their little brain? Instead of God's brain? What if they don't use the wisdom of God to make their decisions? Well, there's another place, and I love it. In the 30th chapter of Isaiah, you don't have to turn there. 30th chapter of Isaiah, verse 21. And thine ears 
shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. When ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. Now, I think the idea I'm supposed to have is like my daddy meddled in my business when I just soon him leave me alone. It's a good thing he didn't leave me alone because I didn't have sense enough to make my own decision. My daddy would step in and say, boy, that thing you're fixing to do is stupid. You don't need to do it. I didn't like that. I didn't like to be told after I'd made my decision that what I was doing wasn't good. But you know what it did? It didn't bother my daddy a bit. <laughs> he said it anyhow because it needed saying. You're not making sense, boy. So what if I don't ask? God tells me anyhow. <laughs> he doesn't wait on me to ask. That's what that word says. He says there will come a time when I'll put my laws in my people's hearts and I'll tell them what to do whether they ask me or not. So here's the thing I'm coming to. He says in James 1.17 that every perfect gift Every good gift and every perfect gift coming from above. We've all heard that. So every good thing that happens to me originates with God the Father. If you do something for me nice down here, I assume God must have moved you to do it. That's just the way I see it. So my Father, God, who has all wisdom, creates a situation where I can get information anytime I need it, and it'll be just good information. But if I need it and I don't ask for it, he takes care of that too. Now I'm telling you, this deal we got with God the Father through our Savior Jesus Christ is a deal you can't beat. <laughs> There's nowhere you can find a better deal anywhere than the one that you have made with Jesus Christ. God the Father who has all wisdom, who knows everything, and he not only knows everything, he knows what's going to happen tomorrow and day after tomorrow and three weeks from now, and I don't know any of that stuff, so how can I make a decision that's going to be affecting my tomorrow and the next day when I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day? But God knows that. It says in one place he knows that the thought that I'm going to have three days from now, he knows already what it is. <laughs> How can you beat a deal like that? So what's the thing we do? The thing we do, you bear much fruit because you know what, how to bear fruit because you're asking God, what do I need to do? 
What did he tell Philip? The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said in Acts 9 chapter, get up, get on the road to Gaza. I got a job for you to do down there. Best I figured out is 45 miles he had to walk. And when he's walking down there on that road, not knowing why he's even down there, there's a guy standing there in a chariot reading the Bible. And he, the, the, the Spirit of God told him, go up to the chariot. He said, oh, that must be the reason I'm down here. And the guy said, he explained the plan of salvation. The Ethiopian eunuch said, there's water. What keep me from being baptized? Philip says nothing. He baptized him. And church history tells us that two years later, the whole country of Ethiopia was converted to Jesus Christ with this guy right here. There it is. There it is. And Philip didn't even know where he was going or what he was going to do. <laughs> but he got up and went. There's something I thought about. It brings back years ago when I was helping my grandfather. Whenever he was plowing a mule, some of you plowed a mule because I've talked to you. You always tell the mule first, come up, right? And then you tell him, gee or haw. He's got to be moving before he can turn left or right. And that, to me, gives me another word picture that I come up on my own. I really didn't. God gave me that even. That you got to be moving to take a left or a right. You got to be moving to know which direction to move in. And you do that on your own. You take that first step just like Philip did. And then God tells you where to go. Just like a person plowing a mule. What was it in 30th chapter of Isaiah, verse 21? As you go, God told Isaiah, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, turn to the left or turn to the right. That's the picture of a person plowing a mule. God uses those pictures to explain to people what is happening in heaven and with him that we have no background whatsoever to understand. And he does it in such a way to where we can understand what he's talking about. And I thank him for using those pictures and examples to make us understand what's going on with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for teaching us. If we can just look back and see what those folks were doing 2,000 years ago, we can understand exactly what you're talking about. There were three or four things today in our lesson that if you didn't know what those folks did on a regular basis, you wouldn't be able to understand. 
Lord, I thank you for taking their day and making it current with our day in order to explain to us how you operate. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.